the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. You are listening to Heart of the City. My name is Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry at KGNW. I so welcome you today as we do this next edition of Heart of the City. With me today is a um, gentleman that I've known for several years. We were talking about that before our recording and uh, kind of reminiscing is how we met each other. His name is Ezekiel Bambolo, Jr. He's the Executive Director of Antioch Adoptions. Zeke, welcome today to Heart of the City. Thank Chuck. So happy to be here. Thank you to be sitting across from you again and having a dialogue as we've always enjoyed. Yes, it, it is good. And the the uh, heart of this show, of Heart of the City, is to share the story of men and women who have uh, decided to um, uh, serve the Lord in, in ministry and how they got to that point. And I love to hear the stories of God's faithfulness in people's Indeed. life and how he's done that. And so um, uh, we want to hear your story and what you're doing now. So uh, let's go back. Let's go back to uh, uh, your, your younger days. And uh, you are not from this country. Where are you from? I was born and raised in Liberia, West Africa. Uh, although a roundabout way, my true heritage is Cameroon in Central Africa. So my parents were... African missionaries, and you didn't hear about African missionaries in the old days, but from Cameroon to Liberia, worked in Liberia for almost 30 years until the Civil War in Liberia, drove our family out, essentially. We were there for a few years at the beginning, and then, so my real home, if I should say what I know, is Liberia, West Africa. I see, and so, but your parents were missionaries, and, and, uh... What years were, was that then? Were you were you born in in uh, in Liberia? Actually, you were so born my, in Liberia. My parents moved to Liberia in Liberia in the mid sixties uh-huh. and served there until the late nineties. I see. Yes. I see. So, tell me about life in Liberia as a missionary kid, and what was that all about? I was blessed, Chuck. I was very blessed. My parents were wise enough to uh, they led it at a school called Rick's Institute. It was a Baptist boarding school. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, but not just was it a Baptist boarding school of Africans, but there was a great diversity of especially Americans because it was just collaboration with the Southern Baptist Convention of the U.S. So we had a lot of Americans in there with their kids, uh, African kids, other countries from around Africa, and even Indians from the, the East. And so with that diversity, I believe I was God just put me in the gem of a place in that. I grew up very early understanding that diversity, seeing different cultures, seeing different uh, people of all, of all kind, of all colors, and really learning to appreciate them in a very secure Baptist boarding school that uh, was one of the top schools in the country. Uh, and so my, it was a private Baptist boarding school. So my uh-huh. parents 
did a tremendous job to put their kids in the best environment that I, I'm fortunate. Yeah, yeah. So what was life like then back in the 60s? Um, what was happening in the country? What was happening within your family? You know, the, the history of Liberia in itself is a tremendous one. That it was, although they were indigenous people, it was settled by free slaves from America. So all that time, at least as I remember, there was a lot of uh, this, the freed slaves that had re- resettled themselves in Liberia in the eight, as far back as the 1820s ruled much of Liberia. Uh, and so there was this desire to try to, what well, what the slaves did not want a lot of the uh, integration of the indigenous people. The indigenous people were pushing the envelope to become a part. So at least in the beginning of my time, my young eight, my young years, I saw a beautiful, peaceful place, beaches and everything that we would go and spend family time at. But into my high school and late and graduates out of high school, it really became a serious place of, of unrest, uh, especially in 1989 when the Civil War engulfed the whole country. Uh, but up to that time, all I remember is the, the beauty of, you know, again, that diversity in growing up with parents who were both teachers, uh, committed to that part, as well as serving in the church, a local church. And so I grew up as a church kid. Uh-huh. Uh, Royal Ambassadors was our boys' youth program, girls' auxiliary, the, um, the girls' program, and uh, going to youth camps and doing those kind of things. Uh, but in that blink of an eye, that seemed to all disappear. Yeah. Well, now, if, a little geography here uh, for, for me and for the rest of the listeners. Liberia is not Libya. No, it's not. Okay, so, <laughs> so Libya is North Africa, North Africa, up along the Mediterranean, yes. where uh, Gaddafi uh, uh, was uh, there for many, many years, yes. but Liberia is kind of west correct. and a little bit south of there, correct? So it's beautifully on the Atlantic Ocean. So uh-huh. follow the Atlantic Ocean around Africa, just the, not the horn of Africa, that's East Africa, but the other side, the west side, and you'll see a little country about 43,000 square miles just on the Atlantic Ocean. You can't miss it. Uh-huh. And you have neighboring countries like Ivory Coast or Guinea or Sierra Leone, and then further East, you run into Nigeria. So if you, the further west you go, you'll find Liberia right on that little... Right on there. Yeah. So for you, what was your spiritual life like? Uh, obviously, growing up in a Baptist school, mm-hmm. you were exposed to the gospel, but where was your heart at that time? Well, like every young man, you know, mm-hmm. you start in that. And, and yes, I was very committed to scripture memory and those kind of things through our youth programs. Uh, my father being a so into uh, intimate with the church and the school, uh, allowed me to do uh, things like serving in the the band, the church choir, the quartets, and doing stuff like that. And uh, But as you grow older, especially for me, being a, an athlete, a famous athlete around the country, you know, at that time a young athlete, uh, there was a lot of attention there as well. So you get your eyes in, you're trying to have uh, feed in both worlds to some extent, but, you know, playing the game well, which I, it was playing the faith game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to let on in life that I really understand how to pursue my faith mm-hmm. at a deeper level, but praise God, he's got grace. Yeah, amen. Well, uh, we're on radio, so people don't have a chance to see you, but you're a little bit taller than six foot. <laughs> how tall are you? Uh, I'm barely six four, but you know, a lot of people think they don't believe they don't believe me when I say that because my frame makes me look yeah, much you, taller. You but. look much taller than that than yeah. six four. But uh, so you uh, you did well in basketball. That was your sport. It was uh, where everybody in Liberia and the rest of Africa and the world plays soccer. I loved it. I played it and I enjoyed it with friends as well. But I think God had a phenomenal miracle in in, in, in the workings. 
in other words, uh, I didn't. I went to a, sc a school that, for some reason, had a preference for basketball. But I taught myself essentially the game by going to the where my mother could see me on the basketball court from my home, our home, and I would spend hours countless hours. Count, I don't know why, but I would spend you countless just hours. It. And it ended up being the saving grace for my family. Hmm. Well, tell me about that. Mm. You're talking about 1989, the Civil War started, and the Civil War was between who? Just local, first, you know, Liberians just fighting for power. Uh, again, we have this free slave popula population that does not want to share power, and they've ruled for over 135 years. You have the indigenous folks that have felt suppressed the whole time. And they said, we want a piece of the pie. And, you know, but we had a president at that point in time. In fact, the president who brought my parents to Liberia was a Baptist minister. And he was uh, also, I believe, the, either the president or vice president of the Baptist World Alliance. Mm -hmm. And his dream was to see that integration of the indigenous and the free slaves. And so he, in my opinion, he found himself between a rock and a hard place mm. where his people didn't trust him well. And the ones he was trying to help didn't quite know how to trust him either. And so he was assassinated in 1980, essentially, uh, with 13 members of his cabinet, of his cabinet, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And that led to, uh, from that up from 1980 right on through 2003, essentially, was a war-toned country. That was one so, in fact, people came to Liberia because if you couldn't get to the United States to get their hands on the American dollar, mm -hmm. the old great American dollar, then you went to Liberia because we exchanged our currency one-to-one -one with the U.S. currency. So you could go there, work well, and I think it enriched the country mm -hmm. to have all of these, you know, some really well, I mean, qualified people coming in because they knew they could have access to the American dollar, work their way out of there, go back home and do what they want to do in their own countries. So that really developed, uh, you know, uh, it peaceful, and all of a sudden that, that civil war uh, kind of destroyed things a bit. So how did basketball work into the, the story of this? Well, I... Ended up, uh, so Lloyd and Marge Garrison, uh, today I call my adopted parents. Uh, as I work for Intech Adoptions, this is God's story you will, we will get to in the long run. Uh -huh. But Lloyd and Marge Garrison came to Liberia in 1989, and I was a senior in high school at the time. Again, like I said, in music, in sports, and what have you. And they would observe, Lloyd would come and observe us boys play basketball every day. And I had no idea, in his mind, he was trying to find a young person that he would uh, give uh, support, adopt, uh -huh. kind of invest into. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I played basketball, and uh, but he wasn't a basketball person. This is, again, the miracle of God. But he came to our family one day, out my, my mom and dad at home, and said, you know, we've been watching your son. We know he's top of his class. He's very good. He's a good Christian. I mean, he's in church and he's serving everywhere he can. He's a good athlete. We think if we can, if we can use his basketball skill and what we can do for him, he can probably go to the United States to go to university and succeed and eventually come back to help his country. That was part of the plan. Didn't know there was a civil war coming for 14 or more years. Right. Uh, so they came back after four years as, as volunteer missionaries from the Southern Baptist Convention. They came back and spoke to a couple of colleges in Texas at first to say, hey, we've got a kid, tall, he plays basketball. We think you do well. He's a good student. He sings well. In fact, all they had was a cassette tape of me singing, not even a video of me yeah. playing basketball or, or an image. Uh -huh. And But the faith of this man, Lloyd Garrison, walked into these colleges. And essentially, I next by they left in October. By December, I already had an I-22 in hand to come to the U.S. and go to school, play basketball. Um, but the Civil War took that opportunity for me. Huh. So what happened then? So Well, the Civil War, I graduated high school in 1989, December 22nd. 
December 24th, the civil war in Liberia began. And essentially, the country shut down. Um, and I, because I could not communicate with the universities out here to tell them I was still alive, I couldn't even communicate with my host parents, Lloyd and Marge Garrison, I lost the opportunity to come to the U.S. So for the next two years, our family spent our time on the run from, from war. Um, military jets dropping bombs, you name it, you know what happens. And mm. the Liberian Civil War was, a very, was, was huge with the, in the number of atrocities and how grievous those atrocities were. So, yeah, for the next two years, uh, praise God, we did, for as many people that died during that war, our family did not lose any, I mean, many times we were hauled up to be assassinated, honestly. Mm-hmm. My, my dad, myself, at gunpoint multiple times because I wouldn't become a conscripted rebel. And my punishment a lot of times was, were to be, was to be tortured to break my will. Mm. Praise God that I knew that I, if I did that as the firstborn son, my brothers would follow suit, and, and pretty soon we would all be child soldiers, potentially all dead. Mm-hmm. And so that stand to not, com- to not uh, commit to that uh, pressure or right. fall, fall to that pressure. And, uh, yeah, it just took us two years, and finally there was a short ceasefire signed by the different war in fashion, probably about three or four at that point in time. And it was a small window that it gave me to call my host parents in the States and say, hey, I'm still alive. The opportunity still exists. Well, it didn't. Uh, initially, it was Baylor University, and I had lost that opportunity. But again, the faith in Lloyd Garrison went back to North Idaho College in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and said, I've got this kid. He's tall. He plays <laughs> basketball. He sings uh-huh. really well. Yeah, listen to him sing. He's a great student. And a Hall of Fame coach who did not need an undersized post player gave me an opportunity. Uh, and I took it with all I could, came over, obviously. And How old were you at that time? 19, just turning 20. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, just to cut a, long, cut a long story short, I mean, I did earn my scholarship and had an all-American career in this country, but uh, the, getting here was not the typical recruiting process. It was definitely by God's grace. Yeah. Well, you're listening to Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministries, and with me today is Zeke Bambolo. He's the Executive Director of... Antioch Adoptions. So you had these people investing in your life and had a vision for you that was beyond what you could have imagined. I did not even see it coming. <laughs> so after your time at, uh, in Coeur d'Alene, uh, were your parents still in Liberia at that time? Fortunately for us, uh, my parents, after I came to the States, within about five or six months, other missionaries, knowing that we were stuck in that country, we had lost everything. In fact, we were driven from our homes with AK-47s at our backs. Do not turn or we'll shoot. So everything my parents had earned in 30 years, they lost in a, like that. And so other missionaries that came looking for us to see if we're still alive were able to put together some funds to send them back home to Cameroon, which is, again, mm-hmm. my blood uh, heritage. Mm-hmm. So they have been in Cameroon. They were there until 2003. They came into the States and have stayed with my family and I and my siblings for about seven years. But they were back in Cameroon doing what they feel God has called them to, back doing the same missionary work but just in their homeland and trying to help other family members who didn't know uh, could use the help. So that's where they are today. Yeah. So uh, fast forward a little bit after your career in basketball. What was the Lord? Uh, uh, what was the Lord telling you to do? You know, initially uh, I took my degree is in business information technology, and that's the route I thought I needed to go, uh-huh. and I pursued that. And I had I have had a wonderful career, uh, fifteen plus years of you know in that technology field, uh, but. 
the Lord arrested my heart right about 20, 2011. Uh-huh. Uh, and pushed me to, after all of those years, look, thinking about the Civil War, to write a book called The Firstborn Son, A Curse, A Gift, or A Calling. And couldn't tell why, but in four months, it seemed like everything was just pouring out of me to write this book, and I did, and published it at that point in time. And that launched, for me, I think the first time, a significant thought into, wow, I think the Lord's calling me more to ministry, to public speaking, you know, and stuff like that. So... Uh, that's when I really turned my, you know, by, at that time, that's also, he had done some molding with me through my marriage mm-hmm. as well. He had done mm-hmm. some serious molding in my, in my own soul to rethink my, my, what I learned. I had head knowledge, biblical head knowledge, but not the practical knowledge or practical application, as you say. Mm-hmm. And during that time, uh, I will say from around 2000 to 2010 or so, the Lord really started to forge in me a different understanding of his scripture, his mm-hmm. words. Uh, and through my marriage as well. And that rebuilding process has really pushed me into the direction that says, you know, God's called me more. And then looking at this whole thing, how, as I keep repeating, this miracle, how my whole life has gone, you know, come about, with, even with this, this, this family, choosing me of all the other kids that were around and being so gracious to me. Uh, it was, there was clear evidence that God wanted more of my life than just my technology mm-hmm. career. Well, you used a term that uh, I really liked, and I'd like you to flesh it out a little bit. You said, the Lord arrested my heart. What do mm. you mean by that? Yeah, I believe, you know, there are times that you think, again, we, th- we think we know what we're born to do. Uh, when God grabs a hold of your heart and starts to f- forge it, of molding a different, of taking a different direction, you know, we, we struggle. We don't want to go in that process. It's almost like as if I've been arrested, you know. You know, mm-hmm. but it's for a beautiful and a good thing. Because when you start to look by, back hindsight twenty twenty and see what God has intended all along and what He is doing, uh, it amazes us. It amazes. It has amazed me to see what God has done with my life since about two thousand two thousand and one to where I sit today, sitting even as the executive director of Antic Adoptions. I didn't even see that position coming, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's more of God just doing what He has designed all along and what. What you, what you find out long-term is that you start to realize what God has put in you long before that you didn't realize was there. And when it starts to erupt in you, you can't help but say, you know what, I'm, everything that burns in me wants to do this. I, I want to take a pause here for a second because this is really why I like to do this program Amen. and to tell these stories because— most of the people that I'm talking to, uh, that I speak with and interview on this program, uh, have a have a history now to where they're able to look back over the years, sometimes decades, yes. sometimes multiple decades, and they they you know they can't uh, they may not what's, know what's exactly going on right now in their lives, mm-hmm. but but they see the the progression of the Lord's faithfulness in their life over the seasons of life. Yes. And in doing so, these stories, I hope, encourage the listener to know that they may be going through something right now that they don't quite understand. They don't know, but if they give themselves the opportunity to continue to live with Jesus for long periods of time, in in years, sometimes decades, you'll be able to look back and recognize God's faithfulness, recognizing that he's been bringing you along at times arresting your heart yes. to bring you to his plans and purposes in your life. Faithful promise. I could not tell you for the many times I looked down in the barrel of an AK-47 hmm. that that bullet 
did not take me when it took so many other young men without, I mean, easily. There was death for nothing. For I'm going to say nothing, meaning the, the rebels killed for a lot less uh-huh. than some of the things that they were trying to accuse our family of. Why not? Why didn't he take my life then? And I look back all of these and to put, try to put the pieces together, and it's, it's got to be for a purpose greater than... Yeah, yeah. Well, so tell me, we've got about uh, four minutes left. So tell me about Antioch Adoptions. How did, um, what do you do for Antioch adopt- Adoptions, and what is the organization about? Antioch, Antioch Adoptions is a, a full adoption agency. Uh, we have looked at the why the church needs to be more involved, James one twenty seven, in caring for orphans and widows, especially in this case as we talk about adoptions for orphans. And uh, adopt, the adoption has seemed to become more of a profitable business in a lot of areas than it is more for taking care of young ch- children that need that foster care as well as birth adoptions. And so Antioch Adoptions has existed for the last 16 years, done over 300-plus adoptions with not a single penny charged to any adoptive family because we feel we have come to a place of how adoptions should be done. Yes, we have to raise funds to do that. And so for we have a staff of primarily volunteers, and as well as part-timers, but the dream that we would change the adoption of the foster care system, we would eliminate the foster care system by using this process of realizing that adoption is possible and it is much needed uh, in our community. And God has ordained it as well. That is what true religion is. But uh, first and foremost, we'll remove all barriers, financial, what have you, racial, what have you, to adoption because we want to put a happy kid, we want to put a kid in a happy Christian home. And so uh, that's what we have, we have uh, pursued for, like I said, 16 years. Even the story of the beginning of Antic Adoption is an amazing one, but that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Well, what, um, this, this is some, from someone who's kind of ignorant about that process, is there a bigger need for, uh, to find families to take uh, children, or is there a bigger need to to find children uh, that, that are families are available to find children that'll fit that family? What's what is the what is the greater need right now? You know, the uh, we try to partner with churches and everything else as we can because we do want to find healthy Christian families. Uh, you will find that across the board too. There is, uh, you know, one of the things that we got struck by was just understanding because of the lack of a better term, and forgive me, but supply and demand, uh-huh. you'll find there are probably there's a good number of African-American kids in the system that are not moving through quick enough or what have you. But that has driven uh, kind of a, a huge uh, uh, scale of cost. So an African-American boy can be as low as four or $5,000 to adopt. A Caucasian girl could be as high as $60,000 to adopt. Why the huge discrepancy? I think that answers a little bit of the question that there are a lot of kids in the system, especially minority kids or so, that are not being moved. And so that is one of the things that really pushed us to say we will make this stamp to say there shouldn't be a cost, any money exchanging hand for any child. And so let's, as long as long as there's a happy Christian family that wants to accept that child, why is there a barrier? to give that child the happiness the forever family he or she needs. Mm-hmm. So um, there, there is a huge need for, if we're, we're at the place right now 
where we have a good number of families, luckily, that are willing to adopt. But because of that uh, uh, discrepancy in number of whether it's minority or Caucasian, what have you, sometimes it's a little harder to place a kid in the perfect home because a family wants it, maybe a younger kid. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, we do. We our, our, our adoption agency works extremely hard to prep, to train, to educate parents so that they're not just walking this battle ever alone. We're always there with them mm-hmm. as long as we can. Well, if someone wants to know more about the adoption process, uh, they may have been working at this for several years, and it may be just something that the Lord is birthing in their heart. Uh, how do they reach out to you? What What will they experience when they uh, come uh, and contact uh, Antioch Adoptions? Simply reach out to AntiochAdoptions.org to begin with. That's where we live. And we always have training opportunities where we have our pre-placement specialists out there doing training so you can learn the process, learn how we operate, and certainly come on board with us. It's an amazing journey that God is working out. Well, Zeke, uh, thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City. If you want to know more about Antioch Adoptions, you can go to Antioch, it's A-N-T-I-O-C-H, adoptions.org. Thanks for joining me today. You've been listening to this KGNW special, Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on KGNW, call Chuck Olmsted at 206-269-6216 or go to KGNW.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.